0: Uh, in terms of the team that might win if it goes four or five games, that's, that's a bit of a shocker. Uh,
1: it's pretty extraordinary. I mean, the, the Nationals are, uh, I mean, they haven't lost since game three of the NLDS.
0: Right, right. They uh, and, and even with that, they were in danger of, they were four outs away from losing the wild card game. Yeah. Uh,
1: no, and, you think about, you know, you're watching these games and it's one of those like butterfly effect things where it's like, you know, if. If Juan Soto, yeah, you know, misses that pitch from Hader by a quarter of an inch, mm-hmm. none of this is happening right now.
0: If Josh Hader can call upon all the energy of being a racist, homophobic prick just a little bit more, <laughs> uh, imagine uh, in a nightmare world we could be talking about the Brewers being up two games to nothing. After- I
1: loved and seeing Yelich get board. that award, in- yeah. and not in a uniform. Yeah,
0: yeah. That uh, he was talking about possibly coming back if if they made it to the world series too. So, uh, but yes, uh, I, well, I was just, uh, I was looking up.
1: So as, as, as has been documented very much, the, the Nationals started out 19 and 31. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at, basically a- after that point, um, we're the best team in baseball. And now, uh, as we sit here after game two are nine and two in the postseason. Yeah. So I just, I just did the math. I think I'm doing this correctly. <laughs> after starting 19 and 31, the nationals are 83 and 40.
0: My God. Wow, I mean, that's... 83 and 40. Is is that a better pace than, like, Houston was on for the entire year? It's got to be, right? Yeah. No point were they on pace to be 43 games over 500. No. Uh, yeah, that's insane. Yeah. So, I, I guess we have started now, so we should... We do have. There's... Hello. uh, Welcome, everybody. This is episode two of Three Strikes, You're Out, uh, Outsports Network-affiliated podcast. My name is Ken Schultz, contributor for Outsports, baseball prospectus, Cubs Den, erstwhile stand-up comedian. Uh, And I am joined this week by uh, another one of my very best comedian friends, Adam Mamawala from New York City. Adam uh, has recently been at the Red Clay Comedy Festival, has appeared on Comedy Central's Pitch Perfect, and on a PC Richard & Son commercial near you as well. That uh, is that is true. That yes, is, that's probably and, my best my best credit.
1: And it's actually it's actually pitch please. Not that anyone cares. Sorry, uh, but pitch uh, perfect. I would love to have been in pitch perfect as a more. as a former acapella singer myself. Yes,
0: yes, uh, with a beautiful mellifluous voice, I should note. So <laughs> you would you would have been spot on for pitch perfect. Oh uh, uh, man, uh, yeah, and also co host of the Away Games podcast, uh, which means I have now I think punched all the holes in the away games podcast card that I was carrying with me. So I get a free bison dog. You get a free, uh, Randy Rosario autograph. That works. That, that works. that works. The goat. Yeah. Now Kansas city Royals, immortal Randy Rosario. I think. Oh yeah. We'll yeah. try
1: to, we'll try to not get too in the weeds. I know this isn't a Cubs podcast. <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, we will. It's not a Cubs podcast, but eventually it becomes a Cubs podcast so far. I think. Uh, how it's, can it not? Yeah. Uh, by so the I think- way,
1: I listened, I did listen to your episode with Kevin and, uh, Man, when I heard that theme music, yeah. I recognized it immediately.
0: Isn't that awesome?
1: I watched uh, This Week in Baseball every week. Yeah. That was the only way that I found out about what was happening in right. baseball. Twib notes and all that yes. business.
0: Yeah, you have to expect... Uh, was, was Mel Allen still the voiceover yeah. Yes, yeah. Mel Allen. Mel Allen. How about that? Uh, yeah, it was yep. great. I mean...
1: Because when I got into baseball, I had moved from Illinois, but had become a Cubs fan uh, thanks to the home run race. And we had basic cable. So the only thing I got other than Cubs and Braves games on WGN and, and TBS, which I don't even know if I got TBS, actually, was this week in baseball once a week. Uh, yeah. So other than literally looking at box scores in the newspaper, right? Um, that was my only way to, to find out about what was happening in baseball. Like that That show was very important to me.
0: Yeah. And, uh, for the most part, that was my childhood baseball as well is that, yeah, the, the Cubs games during the week in mm-hmm. Chicago. And then, uh, we get, we did get TBS. So we'd catch a lot of terrible Braves baseball from the late eighties. Uh, yeah. I think, would it be McDowell era? You could call that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, every Saturday on, uh, Fox Channel Thirty Two is when they syndicated this week in baseball. So you get it was like, every
1: yeah every Saturday at like ten or ten thirty. thirty
0: like the word. end of cartoons. It was either yeah. this week in baseball or pro wrestling for me. I think. Uh,
1: yeah, that was. I mean, that was a weekly ritual for me. I, yeah. I remember that distinctly, and I, I didn't immediately recognize the theater. It was one of those things where, like, I heard it playing, and I was like, I know, I know what that is, but like, what? I can, my brain couldn't. And it is very kind of regal. It's, it it's almost got this like masterpiece yeah. theater sort of vibe to it.
0: It's it's what it, it's the image that baseball always wants to create for itself, that mm-hmm. it is, you know, not just the sport, but it is the sports that uh, like is Americana. And so because mm-hmm. you need the appropriate amount of pomp and circumstance to greet every part of it. Uh right. meanwhile the NBA is actually affiliating with musicians that people actually listen to while baseball <laughs> is still playing the, this week in baseball theme. Yeah, base,
1: baseball is uh is <laughs> is partnering with uh, Johann Sebastian Bach to uh, really bring the young fans in. Yes,
0: yeah, or Yo-Yo Ma, I think, would be the, the closest they get to the current generation. But uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, I guess we will start, since we are, uh, we're going to be doing a slight experiment with this podcast. We're recording this first part on Thursday, uh, as Adam uh, has a road gig in North Carolina for most of this weekend, and we'll be recording the second half after the commercial on Monday, so uh, that could be a very different tone than what we're about to talk about, but uh, we'll find out. Uh, But uh, I'll start with this. Uh, As uh, Ron Santo frequently said to Pat Hughes during any random Cubs radio broadcast of uh, the 15 years they were together, can you believe this? What is going on? (laughs) uh, I'll tell you what's going on. The Nats are a team of destiny. My God. if, If I'd have told you going into the first two games of the world series that Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg would combine for 11 innings pitched total and only 14 strikeouts between them. Mm -hmm. Like you, you have that that's a good uh, seven innings where the nationals bullpen, the toxic spill that is the nationals bullpen has to cover. Yeah. Do you think in any, any scenario, any timeline that the Nats would be up two games to nothing and, looking to dominate the Houston Astros out of this series? Uh, it, it feels like the the Nationals could face the
1: 27 Yankees and walk right over them.
0: Right now, yeah. Uh,
1: I mean, it's... Probably because I, the
0: Nationals actually employ players of color and Latino players, so, I mean, that would probably help.
1: <laughs> yes, and Adam Adovino would definitely strike out Babe Ruth. <laughs> no question about that. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I felt this way... My friend who is a, uh, he, he actually works, he doesn't technically work for the Nationals, but he works with them a lot, um, and I texted him after the wild card game, and I, I told him, I was like, this that felt like a franchise-changing game.
0: Yeah, yeah, and certainly and in the
1: case. Yeah, because, I mean, you you look at where they were at going into that eighth inning, and they're, you know, TBS is always doing a great job of of panning over sad fans. Yeah. And it was pretty desperate there. And and you could certainly see a path where if the nationals lose that game and they're one and done after this great season, it, it starts to feel like, are we ever going to get over the hump? And, uh, man, when you get over the hump, sometimes you really get over the hump and yep. to be able to come back the way they did against Hader and Kershaw, both down three, one in the eighth inning of those games. I, it doesn't surprise me that they walked all over the Cardinals. And obviously we both loved it. And, right. uh, I was a little worried that they would be the new version of the 2007 Rockies, where they would have a week off and, and all of the momentum would be lost. But it, it doesn't surprise me that they're that they're doing this. It doesn't make sense logically, but it also doesn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, going into the, the series, that I knew that they were underdogs, uh, but I didn't realize until I think the game stories after the first win against Garrett Cole, several of which mentioned that, uh, I, I guess this is according to Vegas odds, that the Nationals were literally the biggest World Series underdogs since that Colorado Rockies team in 2007. Really? Uh, yeah, and that Rockies team, uh, as I looked it up, uh, they responded to their underdog status by losing the first game to the Red Sox 13 to one. So, Oof. yeah. At least
1: the Astros uh, waited a game for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, a slight slight change in, uh, in how a team responded to that in the this, this span of 12 years. Uh, So Jason Stark today, uh, in his game story, mentioned that uh, the Astros have not lost back-to-back games at Minute Maid Park since July 1st. And Cole and Verlander specifically have not lost back-to-back games at all since August 9th and 10th, 2018. Well, and I think
1: they also mentioned that the Astros had not lost a game that Cole started since May.
0: Right, right. And that, uh, that brings kind of us into, like, one of the first things that uh, I was focusing on with the series is that that's actually part of kind of a grand baseball postseason tradition of the starter who establishes throughout most of the regular season that he is the best pitcher in baseball and a force that cannot be contained and somebody who could pitch the team through the entire postseason just mm-hmm. by his own effort. Uh, eventually, at some point, being proven human in, in the yep. playoffs. This is. Something that uh, and I was just kind of writing down examples that were like first names that sprung to mind. But like uh, Jake Arrieta, for instance, for the Cubs in 2015 uh, was incredible until kind of faltered a bit against the Cardinals in the division series and then wasn't crushed by the Mets in the championship series, but certainly was the worst of the two pitchers that night. Right. Uh, You have Rick Sutcliffe in 1984, went 16 and one since he was traded to the Cubs. Uh, and then he was kind of the insurance policy after they went up to 2 against the Padres and needed one more win to go to the World Series that, well, at least we got Sutcliffe in game five and mm-hmm. lasted until the sixth inning, I think, when he eventually gave up the tie and then the lead an inning later. Uh, and then around other baseball teams, you got Cliff Lee in 2010, who was the unstoppable postseason force, couldn't be beaten until the San Francisco Giants did it twice in that World Series. C.C. Sabathia 2008 with the Brewers. Randy Johnson 98 with the Astros all guys who dominate 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 but at some point when you run into one of those great teams and a random day and if you don't quite have it they become very human and then sometimes that is all it takes to to defeat a team in the postseason
1: well right and the expectations are so unreasonably high when you're that dominant that you know i you and i remember that feeling of if Arietta gave up a run it was yeah. like, oh god what happened
0: yes that uh Yeah, Jake would be more more apt to show up beardless than to give up two runs for the end (laughs) of 2015. And and Cole, I mean, uh, again, stats I was pulling from another Jason Stark story. Hadn't lost a start, as you say, since May 22nd. Astros had not lost a Cole start at all since July the 12th. Uh, Between losses, this was my favorite thing Stark noted, between Garrett Cole losses May 22nd and Game 1 of the World Series, he struck out 258 hitters, which that, that is the level of Insanity that that keeps pitching at this year, and and the Nationals scored five runs off of him because Juan Soto is a badass. That uh, I don't know uh, what your first yeah. thought. Was. Did, did you see that the home run on the train tracks in real time that Juan Soto hit off Cole? I did. Yeah, and as soon as I thought that, my first thought was, "Yeah, Brad Lidge just flinched watching that highlight." That that
1: is an. And to have that kind of opposite field power is uh, unbelievable.
0: Uh, Yeah. Especially off a pitcher like that. Yeah. That's uh, That's why I
1: remember, I remember the moment that you're referring to distinctly where Pujols hit that home run. uh, And it was one of those great moments where they, uh, they then cut to the dugout and you just see uh, Andy Pettit sitting there saying, Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. I can picture that as well. And, and that's very much the the same kind of effect too. Uh, Although, I believe after the Pujols home run in 2005, I think the Astros still went on to beat the Cardinals in that series. They
1: did. They did. Uh, I believe, though, in that game, I think it was all with two outs. I think it was like two outs, nobody on, and then x yeah. got on, and then somebody right. else got on. Right. And then he, I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen more of a no-doubt home run than that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Soto's was just about as close to, to no-doubt, too. It, uh, oh, man. It it You talk about someone who... Uh, I
1: mean, his one against Kershaw was about as no doubt as it gets, too.
0: Yes. Yeah. uh, I I don't know who the first guy to say this was, but he falls in line with that kind of classic uh, old school baseball cliche of when he hits them, they stay hit. (laughs) It sounds like you could hear like Ted Williams or something yelling that about like. First time you saw Henry Aaron or something like that. Oh yeah.
1: Or, or to borrow a, a Joe Maddenism, uh, pretty much every ball off of uh, Juan Soto's bat is uh, is quote properly struck.
0: Properly struck, yes. Very pertinent to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, Juan Soto, you, you talk about meteoric. Uh, that's uh, the that last year, I, I believe, uh, his last year from 2018. He went from he started last year in low A uh, with in the Washington system then like jumped up through high a and double a it took him like a total of maybe 30 games in the minor yeah. leagues before they said this guy is just too good and we have to have him at the big league level and and as soon as he got called up to the big league started hitting became rookie of the year runner-up uh, to Acuna yeah. and now this year this is his national coming out party at uh it's for someone who is 20 years old that uh, once once they are dropping the names Miguel Cabrera and Mickey Mantle to describe your postseason feats, you've done a thing. I think. Yeah, and
1: it's not hyperbole. I mean, it's, no,
0: it's not at real- all. And uh, just a joyous guy to watch too. That uh, in terms of the, the Soto shuffle, like uh, <laughs> he's uh, he's
1: apparently stopped grabbing his junk. <laughs>
0: yes. Out of respect for the uh, the World Series. Or perhaps uh, one of uh, Fox's people got to him and said, yeah, that, that's okay for cable, but when we go national TV, if, if you don't mind. Yeah, grab your junk all you want on FS1, but we're right. talking Fox here. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, he becomes he's become the first guy who makes taking a pitch kind of fun to watch that way. At, uh, right. And, uh, and I remember our, our friend uh, Sarah Sanchez mentioned uh, several times talking about why she likes Juan Soto so much. Uh, Sarah Sanchez hosted the uh, Cup of Cubby Blue podcast. Um, she uh, mentioned to me that I guess he had a bobble day, bobblehead mm-hmm. day uh, in some game this year. And actually, when he saw what the bobblehead was going to be, asked if they could send them back and recast them because the bobblehead wasn't smiling. And I believe his quote <laughs> was, "I like to smile." So essentially, he's Buddy the Elf at this point in a Except,
1: uh, except whoever was in charge of merchandise was not smiling upon that request because <laughs> he had to fulfill it and uh, probably.
0: There are a lot of uh,
1: unused bobbleheads floating around that yeah. perhaps are now
0: worth more money. And for, I, I wonder if you have an unused bobblehead, does that get sent to third world countries the way the I don't PT think so. do I work?
1: don't think that there's a bunch of people in Buffalo Bills Super Bowl shirts, uh-huh. with, uh, old Juan Soto bobbleheads, Dad Juan collection. Soto
0: bobbleheads at the Buffalo Bills Super Bowl shirts. I like it. I can dig now, that.
1: Now here's a question for you because I've uh, I've thought about this before, and uh, would you if I told you tomorrow the Cubs can either have Acuna or Soto. Who do you want?
0: That is a hell of a thing. Uh, I Ever since he's been called up, like Acuna has been, like, in my mind, like top two or three great young players in the yeah. game. And defensively, he is better. Yeah, yeah, and he still is. I mean, the weird thing about this postseason is, for some reason, the lasting image is going to be Acuna not running full speed out of the box in, I think it was game one, uh, yeah. might have been the game you were at. Yeah. Uh, with the, the Braves and Cardinals, that you attended the first game of that yeah. series, right? Uh, did uh, Were you there for when Acuna didn't hustle out of the box? That's... Yeah, but I was watching the ball, so
1: I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. I think I was. I don't remember if that was game one or game two. Um, but whether, I, I can't even remember if it was in person or on TV, but I remember that being one of those times where when you realize that he's only on first, you're like, how did that? Right. How'd right. that
0: happen? Yeah, and in retrospect, uh, after... You know, he was exoriated in the public sphere for that, uh, like how I dropped in a $10 word like that there. Oh, please do. 50% sure I mispronounced it. (laughs) Uh, Kenyan College, English major in action there. But uh, after he was, you know, eviscerated by so many people on Twitter for it, uh, you look back on it and go, well, that's probably because when he hit that ball during the regular season like that, that was almost definitely a home run. Right. the postseason baseball turns out not so much. And in game one, no one had any idea that the balls were going to be deadened to this extent. Uh, but, yeah. So what is, what, what do you think is going on with that? Uh, I think most, what everybody is saying is that uh, the postseason baseball is not flying nearly as far as the regular season was one was. I, I think that's partly because um, Rob Madford knows that postseason games are always longer in general. And I think, I think some of that might be a fear that if they had the insane baseball from this regular season during the postseason that we'd be talking about like four and a half hour games every night because pitchers couldn't get anybody out. Uh, I also think that maybe they wanted to not have it appear like home runs were as cheap as they were during the regular season during their showcase event. Uh, but but there's yeah, but def-
1: what the hell is that? I
0: mean, I, whatever I you're doing with the ball should not change in the postseason. No, of course not. Yeah, it's when you have strategies you've adopted over 162 games and all of a sudden in the most important games of the year, the very equipment you're playing with is different. It's like all of a sudden you have to go to like aluminum bats during, uh, during October uh, or you have to play with like 19th century gloves that are essentially batting gloves uh, for all your fielders.
1: Now, here's something that's scary to imagine. Imagine this ball, not the postseason ball, but the regular season 2019 ball in the 1998 season.
0: <laughs>
1: what do we well, have, like 85 home runs for Maguire?
0: Yeah, yeah. It it would not be surprising. And and the talk then was juiced ball, too. Like, before yeah. we knew anything about uh, what every pitter was putting into his body, that, that everyone assumed that, oh, this must be, another juiced ball that, that they just keep bringing back every year. Uh, that,
1: that's my other favorite uh, lip-reading moment is when Bonds hit that home run in the uh, World Series in 2002, and yeah. they show Tim Salmon in the dugout saying, that's the furthest ball I've ever seen hit.
0: Yeah, yeah. And because <laughs> stop him when he's lying there, because, yeah, that, I remember That was off of uh, K-Rod, right, that he obliterated, so. yeah. Yeah. like, three quarters of the way up into the right field bleachers. Yeah. That's, Which, uh, if you've been to Anaheim, is a long way. Yes, Yeah, I mean, Anaheim has changed things now. So, like, anything that's above, like, halfway up the right field wall, like, even if it hits the top part of the wall, is now a home run. So, yeah, the idea that you could hit it that far, you would have to have, what was it, uh, horse hormones that were coursing through Bonds' veins at some point? Oh, dear God, I don't know. (laughs) Equine fertility drug, I think. Really? Yes, which uh, if he does ever make the Hall of Fame, you really should find a way to, to work in the phrase equine fetil- fertility drug into his Hall of Fame plaque. Now, if that's not the name of a punk band. I don't know what it <laughs> is. Uh-huh. <laughs> San Francisco, there's probably 100% chance somebody has already called their band equine fet- fertility drug.
1: <laughs> I re- the only thing more bizarre than that is I remember uh, Ray Lewis got in trouble for using a substance called deer antler spray. Jeez. <laughs> which uh, I assume to just... Be what that would sound like. I don't know yeah. what it was, but it was some sort of banned substance.
0: What on earth would that have done for Ray Lewis? Besides, is the side effect of deer antler spray uh, n- not talking at all about the murder you've just witnessed? Is that <laughs> is that a thing? Yes,
1: it's not talking about the murder and talking a lot about God.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I mean, focus. Yeah, focus on the positive, I suppose. Yeah. That's, when, when God gives you a murder, yeah, just focus on his greatness. <laughs> I, I don't know how we ended up in this, this, uh, tangent, but we did. So, uh,
1: because of the equine fertility. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but to, to answer your question from 10 minutes ago at this point, uh, I think I'd still go Acuna just because as you say, the defense and the full package is there. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, Soto given everything you see about him, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that appears to be that this, that could be like the Trout Harper debate of this new generation of young players that, uh, and it's going to take a few years like it did with Trout and Harper to realize, okay, what the answer is going to be, but it's exciting to know that, that they're both 21 and under and, and this great already. It's just, I mean,
1: Soto is in the middle of all of this. Like he's the one who got the hits. He got the hit off of Hayter. He got the hit off of Kershaw to tie it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, to to be that that degree of composed in right. the absolute biggest moments, and maybe it's one of those things that they always say, like, oh, he's too young to be nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and uh, you know, I heard yeah, I heard I heard you and Kevin talking about it too. It's it's an interesting juxtaposition of of having this guy who's so insanely young and insanely good with all of these older guys. And uh, you know, I guess the the slogan for the Nats is you know, let the kids
0: play, but also let the adults have some yeah. fun. Yeah. Which which is great as as we Kevin and I talked in the first podcast. Yeah, yeah. it's good to see a team that has that many old players doing this well, uh, just because it's it's so different from everything baseball tells you that it is right now. Uh, and it's also good to see all the old players having just as much fun as Juan mm. Soto was having. That uh,
1: they are having a blast. All fear. the like their little their celebrations
0: <laughs> after home runs. Yeah, oh. celebration that Howie Kendrick was doing last night and. And everyone, uh, the, the uh, Gerardo Para, let's all make Steven Strasburg uncomfortably hug everyone. I think that's great, too. That, uh, that, that seems like it's sh- uh, scored with, like, a Sarah McLaughlin angel going oh on. Oh, my God. Strasburg
1: has a real uh, Amish guy beard, and <laughs> while receiving that hug, he looked about as uncomfortable as an Amish person, I imagine, yes, would look yes. being hugged that way.
0: Strasburg has, has the beard of an Amish man and the emotions of a Catholic. So... <laughs> Yeah, that,
1: uh, oh, it's been fun, but it's got, you know, it's I guess it's not dissimilar from from the dynamic with Ross on the uh, right. on the Cubs team a few years ago. But, um, you know, think about the fact that when Howie Kendrick was in the minors, Juan Soto was in diapers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. Like that. Is, yeah. That is a great baseball fact. And and as uh, and it took Howie Kendrick this long to make his first World Series and to become a postseason hero. And Juan Soto is doing it uh, with less than two years of MLB experience under his belt. Yeah. Uh, but because they're part of this incredible run, they get to—this is like the, the one thing that they will share for the rest of their lives. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it is it's literally bringing generations together. And I'm using literally, as as Gary Goleman would say, in the yeah. actual non-millennial definition of literally— <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, totally. And and I think that it's a, it's particularly cool because of the way that it's happened. And, uh, you know, the Nationals have had such great teams over the years yeah. uh, and, and lost for any number of reasons. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that I, I try to remind myself as somebody in an insane profession where it's like, you always have this idea of how you expect things to play out. And if and when it does happen, it's probably not going to be the way you expect it. And that's kind of how this Nats team is where yeah. it's like, All of those years that they won the division easily and and had every advantage in the world, it didn't happen. And, you know, kind of like we experienced in 2016, it's it's all the it's that much that much sweeter Mm -hmm. when it it finally happens. And, And especially in this way for the Nationals, where it's like they have no reason to be in the World Series right now. Right. And yet here they are two wins away from winning a title and being immortalized in that city forever.
0: Right. And when you've been through a lot as an organization and you are the fans that TBS and Fox find all the time what, for their sad people in the stand shots and mm-hmm. shots, old ladies crying, uh, to be part of that moment when it finally breaks through, it, it makes it like it's it's a profound ending to an epic quest. Like it, it elevates it from just a simple win that th- makes this fun and isn't this great mm-hmm. uh, to I I literally can't believe I'm using literally again for some reason. Uh, I can't believe I'm alive to witness this. Uh, which which makes it yeah. so so much more special as a fan base to see that. Totally.
1: And as we've talked about many times, you know, uh, sure it would have been <laughs> a lot a lot easier on our hearts to have watched the Cubs win game 7 10 nothing. Mm-hmm. But given that they did win, there's a part of you that's like of course it had to be that way. Yeah. It, you had to feel like it was about to get Taken away from you right. for it to, for you to appreciate it that much, and I think similarly for the Nationals, um, you know, if they come out and beat the Brewers ten nothing in that wild card game, it's possible that they don't go on this run. I think they needed that moment to be like, oh my God, why is this happening again? Mm-hmm. And then having it not happen. Yeah. I mean, you saw when when Soto got that hit uh, and it goes past Grisham, and they they take the lead in that wild card game the celebration in the stands was right. like they won a World series of people yes. throwing beer around and, and going nuts and it was like they, they had exercised their their demons somehow and yeah. uh, it you just felt that that tension breaking. yeah um, a little a little similar I'd say to uh, the, the bias home run in, in game yeah. one of the NLDS against the, the Giants where like it's just it just breaks that tension completely and finally everybody can breathe and be like, okay, thank God.
0: Yeah, it is it is the signal to everyone that guess what this is different this mm-hmm. is now you get to be the ones who celebrate this incredible moment that you've seen you know for us the generations of the Padres and the Giants and the Marlins celebrate in our faces now mm-hmm. you get to be the one who experiences this and Well and it's, yeah, and- it's
1: ex- exactly like Soto Soto getting that hit Soto uh, coming up big against Kershaw it is it's the it's the opposite and we had those moments as Cubs fans and and the, I'm sure for the Nationals especially you know, sweeping the Cardinals and really embarrassing them, frankly, mm-hmm. there's some justice in that, considering how close they were, and and the Cardinals having taken that away from them. In yeah. I guess 20,
0: 2012. 2012.
1: Yep. Who yeah. the hell was it who got that hit?
0: Uh Cosma. Uh, Cosma, yes, Pete Cosma. Of You're course. About that, like I think there's so,
1: always a Cosma. There's always a Bo Hart. There's um, always a Tommy Edson. There's always a
0: this year. Yeah. Uh, And believe me, there is always justice in sweeping the Cardinals, even if your team has nothing to do with them. If you sweep (laughs) the Cardinals, that is justice winning. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that is where we are right now uh, after Game 2. We're about to take a break and head into a commercial. When we come out of this break, it will be Monday morning after Game 5. And I'm curious to find out what the tone will be then. Uh, And I'm curious to find out if we'll have a Game 5, honestly.
1: You know, I don't know that we will, and uh, to just tie us back to where we started, I, I did look it up. The, the Nationals, after their 19 and 31 start, including the playoffs, are on a, a pace that would be a 109-win season. Geez. wow. So they've been playing that well Adam, since May. That
0: sucks. Yep. Do <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's how you win a World Series, I yep. think, assuming that they do. All right. So, uh, yeah, so good to talk to you, Adam, and we'll talk to you again on Monday. Sounds good. All right. Okay, and we're back, and it is now Monday, the day after Game 5 of the World Series. We've time uh,
1: traveled, and things
0: have changed. Yeah, yeah, I I, I don't know, Adam, uh, if you noticed any differences in the past three games compared (laughs) to the first two of the series? I noticed significantly fewer
1: curly Ws.
0: Yeah, yeah, decidedly. uh, As as you mentioned on the road yesterday, the only place you're seeing curly Ws in Maryland is passing Walgreens at this point. That's true. Yeah, Sai. wow. Uh, So that felt like... Kind of what we expected the World Series to be like, I think, out of the based on the, uh, the last three games. As
1: right. To- like, if you had told me before the series started, going into Game Six, Houston will be up three-two, I would have been like, that sounds about right. It just yeah. didn't happen the way that I would have expected.
0: Honestly, I'd have been surprised at the two. Uh, I, I I I was guessing short series, and Houston was going to dominate, and that short series where Houston dominates apparently started in Game Three, because uh, yeah. yeah. But just uh, kind of as a baseball insider, statistical-minded person, uh, when you score one run in three consecutive World Series games, that's generally bad, unless you're like the 1965 Dodgers Ugh. or the six Orioles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's not what you want. Uh, so, yeah, Garrett Cole was exactly what we thought Garrett Cole was going to be in Game 1, was how he was yesterday. It, I mean,
1: uh, it was kind of like if uh, in 2016 – after the, those first two games in Chicago, the third game was just also like that, and the Cubs yeah. just lost that series.
0: Yeah, that is that like is just kind of nothing to cheer about. The ultimate nightmare of 2016, and, and to me, it felt a little bit like the 2016 Cubs returning home compared to what the Nationals are this time around. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, a big difference in terms of quality of team overall. Right. Uh, but there was definitely a sense, to me, watching these last three games, that the Nationals—it suddenly. To them, like, oh, we could actually do this thing, and all we got to do is win the next two. And they also came home to a fan base that mm-hmm. you know had not been to a World Series ever. Right. Uh, and I think, in certainly in that that first couple games uh, when they had the opportunities, uh, they you you could see it, and uh, them going 0 for 10 with runners. Yeah, yeah, scoring. that's. I mean,
1: going that usually is not an anomaly. I think when when teams struggle with runners in scoring position, especially in a game like that, it's they're pressing and, and everybody. Yeah. Wants to be the guy, which was kind of the issue for the Nationals as a franchise until very recently. was that it always felt like that in the playoffs where you could see them get tight and everybody wanted to step up and nobody was able to do it. So, mm-hmm. you know, part of it is that they're just facing a better team like the Astros yeah. are just objectively a, a better team. But, uh, you know, it, it felt to me last night like the, the Nationals really needed to win that game to have a shot. The idea of them winning two in Houston seems almost impossible.
0: It does, uh, but we'll get to we'll get to that uh, toward the end here. Uh, but regarding uh, last night's game, and actually last night's game and Game Four as well, uh, to me the, those are triumphs also of kind of the Astros' like baseball ops department, kind of changing the game plan around a little bit uh, and giving the Nets something that they did not see coming, uh, because in the w- the wake of uh, Game Four. The what uh, will now be known as the Jose Urquino game, and yeah. Uh, yeah, you'd have bet, you'd have won a shit ton of money going into this if you'd have guessed that any game would be defined as the Jose Urquino game. Uh, but what those,
1: is it? Is it Urquidi?
0: Uh, Urquino? I think it's Urquino. Yeah, I, I'm, this is a great baseball podcast where I'm suddenly not sure of the pronunciation of one of the best pitchers of the series.
1: Uh, is the guy with whose last name starts
0: with a U? Yes, U, who is not Uget Urbina, thankfully, because he's not killing people with a machete. Yes. That's either here nor there, uh, but he is killing the Nationals' playoff hopes, which is a professional transition uh, <laughs> to to discuss how he. It was it was not just the fact that he threw five shutout innings and was throwing 96 miles an hour; those were expected. Uh, what apparently wasn't expected, and I didn't know this until reading the game stories afterwards, is that the Nats scouting report on him was that he was essentially baseball changeup pitcher, mm-hmm. and what they ended up getting was a ton of sliders and the occasional curve. And they were not at all prepared for that as hitters. And that, I think, is a big part of why he was able to breeze through in five shutout innings that lasted in, like, maybe an hour, 10 minutes total right? Uh, for a World Series where games have otherwise taken four hours. Similarly, Garrett Cole last night, who we know is a dominant fastball pitcher, destroys people with upper 90s occasional 100 heat. Eight of his nine strikeouts last night were on the slider. And, again, I have to think that that is something the Nationals – either didn't see coming or weren't able to adjust to when it happened. And again, that's at least, you know, Garrett Cole who also has incredible 80 grade slider to go along with 80 grade fastball. But nonetheless, this was a different game plan than they were expecting. And I think that this is kind of where Houston's data people really come to the fore in a situation like that. And this is the, the nationals obviously uh, are not as deep a lineup as the Astros, uh, as the Astros possess, but Mm -hmm. The fact that they have pitching that's changing their game plan around like that in a short series in a small sample that can be crushing, as we've seen over the past three days.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess the Cardinals weren't able to uh, hack into that info to play <laughs> the Nationals
0: last round. Yeah, yeah that's uh, I guess the, the part of part of the astro luck is that they get a team that's honorable as, to, as opposed to the Cardinals. So uh, yeah,
1: I, d- now here's a question because I was uh, I was driving back from a, a show last night and I was listening to the game, but I didn't get to watch any of it. Um, was was Lance Barksdale's zone all over the place, or was it just the yes. Nationals uh, announcers being upset?
0: No, the, the Nationals announcers were 100% in the right for being upset with Barksdale. Early on, he was giving balls inside about two or three inches off the corner as strikes. And once you got used to that, you could kind of see for about two or three innings that that was kind of the new, new normal then later on, he started giving outside, and uh, I think the one, especially the most egregious one that you're talking about, is the final Garrett Cole strikeout of the evening, where mm-hmm. uh, on the previous at bat, um, Martín Maldonado popped out of the crouch as if he'd struck out. Uh, I think it was Zimmerman uh, for the final out of the inning, but it was that one was two inches off the plate outside, and Barksdale correctly called that ball four, mm-hmm. and Astros got mad about that. So then it was uh, in the Robles at that. Uh, that one was, I mean, you could tell just from TV that was a solid four, or five, maybe even six inches off the plate. Never saw the outside corner. Started outside, ended further outside. And Barksdale uh, called that strike three as Robles was about ten feet down the first base line, thinking that he had correctly earned ball four. And we have here, you know, the, yet another case of an pseudo authoritarian in the ballpark. Who does not think his, his decisions or motives should ever be questioned and is never called to account, never has to answer for them, and also Trump was there that night. So.
1: <laughs> Don't anger all the uh, the Trump supporters that uh, listening to this Outsports podcast.
0: Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Thankfully, I think our our uh, population for that is is relatively low, but. Uh, but Funny yeah, I, I hope uh, for for our sake that we have even fewer Lance Barksdale supporters listening to this podcast as well, because he sucked.
1: So you're yeah. saying the lock him up chance were for Barksdale?
0: Uh, by the end of the game, yeah. I, I, I honestly, and I 100% support the lock him up chance. Wouldn't blame him if you focused a few of those on the ump toward the end of the game as well. Uh, and, you know, I mean, we talk, I mean, people who support the umpires, played umpires, Talk the Trump about hires? yes, the Trump hires, love it, yes, yes. Uh, that, uh, uh, you remember
1: one that we learned about recently, but that's not here, nor yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Rob Drake is, uh, <laughs> I wonder what Rob Drake thought watching the lock him up chant, uh, online the-, the other day. It uh, but uh, whatever we knew, whatever Rob Drake thought, it wasn't properly spelled, we know that. <laughs> uh, but uh, but we talk about umpire defenders talk about the human element as, you know, this is important to have in the game. And to me, the response to that is always the human element is we have some of the best pitchers in the world facing some of the best hitters in the world. And if, if whoever wins, that is the human element. And we have, when you have someone interject themselves, like by, by calling an egregiously wrong strike three, uh, uh, on what should have been ball four, which would have brought the tying run to the plate in that inning. Uh, and granted it's with two outs, so they only had, would have had one more shot at it, but still a relatively important part of the game. That's the part where you really look at at that and go, I cannot wait for the day when our robot overlords take over and Skynet becomes sentient. If it means, uh, if it means that we get a goddamn strike zone called correctly, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying.
1: I'd buy that for a yeah. dollar.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, And uh, so the thing, uh, another thing about the the Nats lineup, and I think what we've learned uh, from those middle three is that as Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto go, so go the entire Washington Nationals at this point. Uh, Houston's lineup, because it's much deeper, you can afford to have an Alex Bregman wait until game four to explode on everybody and still have Jose Altuve and Michael Brantley going off. Uh, The Nats, uh, Anthony Rendon is hitting 200 for the World Series. Juan Soto was 0 for games two, three, and four, which means age 21 might be the beginning of his decline phase. You never oh, know. No. Uh, and because those two have struggled so much, uh, all of a sudden you see that there's not a lot there to pick him up behind him, and especially when you've got that kind of bottom of the order, that Robles, Yan Gomes pitcher spot, that's that's like right. a third of the order where you've pretty much given them solid outs. And uh, and the Astros have taken full advantage of that, too. And good on them, honestly.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. And uh, I was the the Nationals broadcasters mentioned last night that this is the, I believe, third time in World Series history that the road team has won the first five games. Yeah. Um, And it has never happened that a road team has won all of them. So the Nationals have a tall, a tall order here.
0: Yeah, I that's I remember it happening in 96 where the Yankees jumped out to or the, the Yankees uh, got crushed, actually, by the Braves in the first two games uh, at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, the height of the Braves dynasty. And I remember people at the time writing, you know, very paint by numbers, basic uh, sports writing columns of, well, this is like the coronation of the Braves as the team of the 90s uh, it was people comparing them to the big red machine where they won yeah. the dramatic World Series the previous year and then swept through the next year. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they went to Atlanta-Fulton County Stadium, and all of a sudden, Yankee pitching showed up in games three and five with, I think it was Cohn and Pettit shutting him down. And then they had the dramatic uh, Jim Leyritz home run uh, tying the game off Mark Wohlers in game four, that really turned the entire series around. And there really is no one series-turning moment for this particular one, as much as just the Astros pitchers showing up and then different Astros hitters, like, again, Alex Bregman.
1: Yeah, stuff. the Grand Slam, I would look at. I mean, it's not a turning point because they were already leading, but in terms right. of that being a statement, I think absolutely. that's probably yeah. That's probably up there, and uh, yeah, um, I mean, you know, you think about the, the Cubs-Indians World Series, and the Cubs won three of four games in Cleveland, and the Indians won two of three in mm-hmm. Chicago, so it's not yeah. unheard of for teams right. to go out and win road games in the World Series, but for it to be like this is very unusual.
0: Yes, absolutely. Now, they're in my mind, there's still, and this is a uh, dumb and dumber Jim Carrey. So you're saying there's a chance, yeah. chance that the Astro or that the Nationals can rebound in games six and seven, and uh, I base this on that not only does their lineup revolve around Rendon and Soto, you can tell based on how they played the Astros that they just kind of have to win every game that Scherzer and Strasburg start now. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's certainly possible in Game Six. Uh, and I'm thinking back to you remember from 2017 the postseason, where in the NLDS that year the Cubs had uh, jumped out to the two to one lead and were looking to clinch at home in Game Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they faced a fully rested Steven Strasburg. And I don't know if you remember the numbers. Uh, Look them up uh, last night. Uh, cover your ears for these: seven innings pitched, three hits, no runs, twelve strikeouts.
1: Yeah. And, and he was on full rest because the previous day had been rained out, which right, sucked right. even
0: more. They were think uh, there was the idea that uh, he might not pitch if it, he wasn't on full rest, that Dusty was uh, uh, making the excuse that uh, there was mold in the hotel. And yeah, you know, mold, you know, pitchers can't pitch with mold. Certainly, it's, uh, uh, So So, assuming that the Nationals do not stay in a hotel with mold, uh, we, we've seen this story before. We've seen uh-huh. Steven Strasburg just go out. On a day where his team needs him to shove in order to stay alive, and utterly dominates. Like I, I don't know if you remember the feeling of watching that. That uh, you, myself, and our friend Kevin McCaffrey were all together in the East Village bar, Kelly's. And at some point in like the fifth or sixth inning of that game, I remember like the three of us discussing, just throw out a take sign, honestly, because the Cubs, you you could tell them that a changeup was coming with two mm-hmm. strikes. And they still swung every goddamn time at it, and I think well, Strasburg yeah. is capable of throwing one and, of those six.
1: And think of how much the the narrative on Strasburg has changed since that game, yeah. because I, you remember when he was when the before the game had been rained out, and when they were talking about him not starting, there was a lot of that kind of you know he's soft stuff mm-hmm. floating around. And when you look at what he's done this postseason, it's been pretty remarkable. And you you got to feel horrible for Scherzer not being able to go yesterday, Absolutely. and I think. You know, unlike Strasburg, he is somebody who, unless you're a complete moron, you would never question his toughness or his desire to be on the mound. So it obviously had to have been really, really severe for him to not pitch in that game yesterday. But it does line up for an interesting opportunity if they get to Game 7 or if he's starting that game. And then this is what I think you and Kevin and myself all talked about. Like, if it goes to a Game 7, there could be the greatest collection of pitchers ever outside of an All-Star game.
0: I really want that to happen. You I would love that. After time. the other, after the other. And and let's see who's last, last man left standing on that. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Uh, so it, we're essentially at kind of the Kevin Millar, don't let us win tonight point, except they've already gotten past the don't let us win tonight game. You've got Strasburg and hopefully Scherzer. And that's yeah. as good a chance as you can have in a situation that honestly still looks dire. But there yeah. is a path there, and it's conceivable. Yes. So no, uh absolutely yeah, this... I'm I'm
1: all in on a game 7 I would love nothing more and uh if it goes anything like <laughs> the Cubs game 7 that means some uh obscure person will be on the mound <laughs> at the end so yes. here's to uh, Hector Rondon closing it out in the absolutely. 14th inning
0: or, uh maybe uh gosh I'm thinking uh let's let's do one soto emergency pitcher closing it out why not oh I like it yeah or Gerardo para closes it out and then does the baby shark dance off the mound that'll be do 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 do, do. yes uh, so that's yeah, it's good to know, does Eddie, to end on. So Adam, thanks for joining me. Uh, and uh, yeah, we've got one, maybe two more games left, and hopefully, one of them might be that pitchers' duel that we expected at some point. Absolutely, go Nets. Go Nets and All right.